Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the book of the prophet Jeremiah. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA, along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. We will begin this evening by turning to Jeremiah chapter 6. I take a certain amount of heat for how long my introductions go. It's been, yes, it's become a bit of a joke here at GCA, and so I play along and say introductions don't count against my time. Uh, we are now in chapter 6 of the book of Jeremiah. It has taken us, because of interruptions, it's taken us a couple of months to get through these first five chapters and finally to chapter 6. And where the book of Jeremiah is concerned, this has been indeed all introduction, because it's not until chapter 7 that we finally get into the narrative portion and we start getting some sense of the life and ministry of Jeremiah and the resistance of the people of Israel against the message that he is to deliver. But these first six chapters comprise the message itself that he is commanded to go and tell the people of Israel. And of course, they don't want to hear it, and their prophets have been prophesying peace and safety to them. And Jeremiah is told to go and tell them that they are, in fact, under the judgment of God, and that he is going to be bringing the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, down on them, and that Jerusalem is going to be left desolate, so much so that here in chapter 6, he's even going to say that it's going to become a place where shepherds graze sheep. It's not just going to be a great walled city. The walls are going to be knocked down, and there's going to be animals habitating there in Jerusalem. So people don't want to hear that message. They don't like that message. And as a consequence, Jeremiah's entire ministerial career, he's not going to have any actual converts. He's not going to have anybody who listens to his message and says, well, then we better repent right away because clearly he has heard from God, despite the fact that history, human history, secular history, proves that everything that Jeremiah predicted actually did come true. So Jeremiah was a completely accurate and faithful prophet, but nobody wanted to hear it because it was, in fact, the word of God that was not the popular message that the prophets were all with one voice telling the people. I guess we can apply that to this very day, that people don't want to hear what the Bible actually has to say They would rather hear people tell them that everything's fine and everything's good. Chapter 6 begins then with, flee for safety, O sons of Benjamin. Now, you're going to be able to read right past this first verse and not understand what God is actually doing. But by pointing out the sons of Benjamin, Benjamin was just north of Jerusalem, And so they are being told to flee out of the area of Benjamin 
but then not to stop at Jerusalem because flee for safety, O sons of Benjamin, from the midst of Jerusalem and now blow a trumpet in Tekoa. Tekoa is about 11 miles southeast of Jerusalem. So what God is doing geographically here is that he's starting at the northernmost portion and then working down to Jerusalem, then working down from there to Tekoa. And then he says, and raise a signal, which is like a warning sign. Raise a signal over Beth Hekarim. And Beth Hekarim is a vantage point midway between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So that's supposed to be lit up to warn the inhabitants of that land to flee. So what that first verse does is it really covers the whole territory of the southern kingdom, starting in the north with Benjamin, coming down to Jerusalem, down to Tekoa, down to Beth Hekarim. In other words, the destruction that's going to happen is going to be complete. It's going to be geographically complete, and there's no place to run. There's no place to hide. For evil looks down from the north and a great destruction. And the comely and the dainty one, that means the once very attractive daughter of Zion, will be cut off. She is going to be taken into captivity. She is going to be taken into Babylon, where they are going to serve for the next 70 years. And while they were at one time an attractive, and he speaks of her in the female form, an attractive, dainty, good-looking one, she's going to be taken all the way down to servitude and rags. The shepherds and their flocks are going to come to her, and they will pitch their tents around her, and they will pasture each in his place. That's what I referred to just a moment ago, that Jerusalem itself, as the people are taken out, is going to be overrun with animals and even shepherds who are going to graze their animals there in what once was magnificent Jerusalem. So verse 4, prepare war against her. Arise and let us attack at noon. Woe to us, for the day declines, for the shadows of the evening lengthen. Typically, when kings would attack cities, you would want to start early in the morning so that while the sun was up, your armies could see what they were doing. And what he's saying here is you're actually going to be attacked at night. So there's no peace or safety at night either. Even while you think everything is secure, that's when you're going to be attacked. Despite the fact that the armies of Nebuchadnezzar are going to be prepared in the morning, the day is going to wear on and the shadows of the evening are going to lengthen. Arise, let us attack by night and destroy her palaces. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, cut down her trees and cast up a siege against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished, in whose midst there is only oppression. We've seen that in the previous five chapters. As God has laid out his case against Jerusalem, one of the things that he has listed about them is that their judgments, their care for the poor, their care for the fatherless and the widows, has not lived up to God's law and expectation. 
So because they are being unjust and unfair, he is going to allow their enemies to build siege walls up against them and destroy Jerusalem. And then he describes her this way, by comparing her to a well that keeps fresh water. He says, as a well keeps its water fresh, so she, Jerusalem, keeps fresh her wickedness. So the walls of Jerusalem encase this people group who continue in their wickedness, in their godlessness, in their unjustness, in their unrighteousness, in their following after other gods, in their committing of their spiritual adulteries. He says Jerusalem's walls keep the wickedness of the people fresh. Violence and destruction are heard in her. Sickness and wounds are ever before me. God does this very frequently. We saw it in the book of Isaiah, how when people are spiritually sick, God likens it to having a wound and a sickness and an incurable disease. It's within that context that Isaiah says that when the Messiah dies, that his death is going to pay for our sicknesses. Way too frequently, people think that means well, then I'm going to physically get well because Jesus died. That's where so much of the errant theology of healing comes from. But in fact, contextually throughout the Old Testament, what it is is that God sees these people as being sick in their souls, not necessarily sick in their bodies, that they are unwell, that they have wounds, that they have an incurable sickness that can only be solved, can only be resolved, can only be made well by God himself. And because there is violence and destruction inside Jerusalem, he likens that to sickness and wounds that continue. They're ever before me. So be warned, O Jerusalem, lest I be alienated from you, lest I make you a desolation. Now, what we've seen a couple of times in these first five chapters is that while God is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, he has also said, but I'm not going to make a total end of her. He's going to preserve a remnant of Jerusalem because of the promise that was made to Judah specifically that out of Judah is going to come the Messiah. And sure enough, that is the tribe that he came out of, Judah. So Judah has to remain intact long enough for the Messiah to actually be born to them. So God says, I'm not going to make a total destruction of you. And yet, as part of God's warning against them, he says, be warned, O Jerusalem, unless I become completely alienated from you, unless I make you a desolation finally, a land never inhabited. Verse 9, thus says the Lord of hosts, they will thoroughly glean as the vine, the remnant of Israel. Pass your hand again like a grape gatherer over the branches. I don't have anything here that I can use as a visual aid, but if you've ever tried to get clusters of grapes off a vine, one of the ways that you would do it is passing your hand down over it like that so that all the grapes would come off. That's what God is describing here and saying that the destruction is going to be so complete 
that he's telling the Chaldeans, he's telling the enemies of Jerusalem that they are going to thoroughly glean as a vine the remnant of Israel and pass your hand again like a grape gatherer like this over those branches so that you've squeezed out even the last of the little grapes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they will thoroughly glean the vine, the remnant of Israel. Pass your hand again like a grape gatherer over the branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. I appreciate the fact that God didn't just say they don't listen or they don't pay attention as if they had the capacity if they just wanted to. They are incapable of hearing the word of God. They're incapable of listening to the warnings that God is sending to them via Jeremiah. Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. And they have no delight in it. They don't pay attention. They don't listen to the word of God. They don't delight in the word of God. And then at verse 11, this seems to be Jeremiah speaking as opposed to God. Because he says, but I am full of the wrath of Yahweh. And I'm weary of holding it in. Pour it out on the children in the street. And on the gathering of young men together. For both husband and wife shall be taken, the aged and the very old, and their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and their wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. So this is the message that Jeremiah is being told to carry to Jerusalem, this message of impending judgment this message that God is angry with them and that they not only haven't listened to God, but that they're incapable of listening to God. And these are religious people. These are people who are keeping feasts and Sabbaths and going through the stuff of their religion, but they're not listening to God to the point where they understand his ways or where they're worshiping him from their hearts. They're going through the rigor of religion but they're not understanding why they're doing the things they're doing. As a consequence, God starts saying, it's going to be everybody. Nobody's going to escape. All their houses are going to be turned over. Their fields, their wives together, and I'm going to stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land. That's what Yahweh declares. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, Everyone is greedy for gain, and from the prophets, even to the priest. So even the religious people, even the people who are supposed to be going to God on behalf of the people, that's what the priests do. They go and sacrifice to God, standing between the people and God. And then the prophets who are supposed to hear from God and then go speak to the people on God's behalf. Both of those offices had become so corrupt that God was no longer accepting sacrifice and praise or any worship from them, nor was his message and his word getting to them because the prophets and the priests 
had all become greedy for money, and everybody deals falsely. Everybody's lying. Everybody's in it for themselves. Verse 14. And they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially. In other words, they didn't really cure the disease. This goes back to God saying, all I see is sores and disease among them. And then the ones who were supposed to be bringing them my word, the ones who were supposed to be healing their wounds by hearing the truth from God, even those people are only healing those wounds on the surface, superficially, not to the depth of their real dark disease. And they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially. And how are they doing that? They say, peace, peace, it's all good. It's going to be peace, don't worry about it. Only Jeremiah is saying, it's not going to be peace. It's going to be destruction. And you can see why if you have everybody with one voice saying, no, it's all good. God would never do that to you. You're the chosen people. You're his beloved. You're the descendants of Abraham. He's not going to do that to you. If you have all the prophets saying that, peace, peace, you can see why one man, Jeremiah, who actually has the truth, who's saying, no, it's going to be destruction because you're evil, lousy, rotten people and you're deeply sick and wounded. You can see why they're going to torture him and try to shut him up and ignore his word because the other priests and the other prophets are all lying to the people and only healing them on a superficial level by saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abominations they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At that time that I punish them, they will be cast down, says Yahweh. And thus says the Lord, stand by the way and see and ask for the ancient paths. Now, this is really interesting because God is saying, once upon a time, we were in union. When I brought you out of Egypt, we've already seen this language in the first five chapters, you were my new bride. I was betrothed to you. You loved me. I loved you. We were in this love relationship where you responded to me and responded to my word, responded to those men I sent you like Moses. And now you've become fat and happy and you've become independent and you don't want to listen to me anymore and you want to chase after your other gods. And so I'm instructing you to go back and look at how it used to be. Go back and read my word yet again. Go back to how you used to worship me. Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. And then walk in it and you shall find rest for your souls. What an interesting promise. God says if you'll go back and study my word. If you'll go back to the ancient paths, if you'll go back to the way it used to be, you're finally going to achieve rest for your souls. Did Jerusalem or Israel historically ever find rest for their souls? 
No, to this very day, there continues to be all this conflict in the Middle East. There is still no rest for their souls. Then Jesus walks on the stage of history, and he says something phenomenally interesting. Remember that his three-and-a-half-year ministry was to the Jews, was in Jerusalem, was within the confines of Israel. That he even said to his disciples, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the way of the Samaritans, go first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and that's where you're going to go preach this gospel of the kingdom. And within the confines of Israel, Jesus again brings up this same promise that you will find rest for your souls. And because they couldn't do it, by themselves, because they couldn't do it through the law, because they couldn't do it due to their own blindness and their own sickness and their own sores, because they couldn't accomplish it by their flesh and by their own effort, Jesus gives them another way to find rest for their souls. This is Matthew 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son will reveal him." So here he is talking about Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the Father, the one who said, if you'll return to me, if you'll go to the old paths, then you're going to have rest for your soul. Jesus unifies himself with the Father and says, you can't know me unless the Father introduces you to me and me to you. And you can't know the Father unless I, the Son, introduce him to you. So having drawn this parallel between the Father and the Son, starting at verse 28, Jesus then says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn about me. Back here in Jeremiah, it was go back to the old ways. Learn about God. Learn about the forefathers. Learn about the faithfulness of God as your deliverer. Now, having not accomplished peace for the souls of Israel through that method, Jesus says, now come to me and I'll give you rest. And now come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn about me because I'm gentle and humble of heart. And he ends up quoting from Jeremiah 6.16, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the solution to the sickness of Israel, the solution to the desire for rest and peace and being able to rest in their own land, to be able to rest in their own cities, in their own houses, the rest from their enemies, their rest with God, the unification of their relationship between them and God is all accomplished through Christ. And Christ comes to the planet and quotes it in order to say, you know that rest you've been looking for all these years? 
I'm it. Come to me, learn about me. And because the yoke of bondage was so heavy between the Assyrians and the Chaldeans, the yoke of bondage was so heavy. And Jesus says, if you're weary and heavy laden with that yoke of bondage, come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn about me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and that's how you're going to find rest for your souls, because his yoke, his burden is easy. His burden is light. So Jesus is the satisfaction of the very thing that Jeremiah 6.16 is talking about. Verse 17. And I set watchmen over you, saying... Listen to the sound of the trumpet. And they said, no, we're not going to listen. So God is even saying, I'm going to give you a trumpet. I'm going to give you a warning. This whole chapter began with, get ready to flee. Get ready to put up warning signals. Get ready to go because they're coming. And you people won't listen. And you people won't get ready to flee. And you don't want to listen to the trumpet. Therefore, hear, O nations. And know, O congregation, what is among them. God is now calling for the testimony of all the peoples against Israel and even the earth itself. Hear, O earth. Behold, I am bringing disaster on this people. The fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it also. For what purpose does frankincense come to me from Sheba and the sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable and your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. Why? Because he just said even the priests are dishonest. Even the priests who are supposed to be sacrificing on behalf of the people to God, God is now saying, that's not enough to buy peace between me and you. I don't care about those sweet odors that you send up to me. I don't care about your animal sacrifices and your burnt offerings. I'm not going to accept them. Your sacrifices are not going to please me, are not going to satisfy me, are not going to turn me away from the wrath that I am bringing on you. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm laying stumbling blocks before this people, and they will stumble against them. Fathers and sons together, neighbor and friend, will all perish. So, so far, what we've heard in this chapter is, pour it out, pour out the wrath of God, pour it on the children in the street, and the young men together, and the husband and the wife, And the aged and the very old, present. (laughs) And their houses are going to be turned over to others, their fields and their wives together. I'm going to stretch out my hand against all the inhabitants of the land. And then even fathers and sons together and neighbors and friends, they're all going to perish. Verse 22, thus says Yahweh, Behold, a people is coming from the Northland. A great nation will be aroused from the remote parts of the earth. They seize bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. 
Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses, arrayed as one man for the battle against you, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the report of it. This is apparently Zion responding. We have heard the report of it. Our hands are limp. Anguish has seized us. Pain as of a woman in childbirth. Do not go out into the field. And do not walk on the road. For the enemy has a sword. And terror is on every side. So they need to repent. And they need to repent in a hurry. Because God keeps holding out, as we read last week, he keeps holding out this promise that if they will just turn to him, they can avoid this destruction. So verse 26, again, speaks to Israel as a daughter of God, this dainty and beautiful daughter, the daughter of Zion, O daughter of my people, repent, put on sackcloth. Now, when you would typically repent, You would put on sackcloth, very itchy stuff, and then you would cast dust and ashes on your head. I like what God says here. It's not just put some ashes on your head. Put on sackcloth and roll around in the ashes. Get down in the ashes. Mourn as if you're mourning over your only dead son. A lamentation most bitter. For suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. I have made you an assayer. This is God now speaking to Jeremiah. I've made you one who is going to go out and assay the condition of the people. You're going to look at it and estimate it. I have made you an assayer and a tester among my people that you may know and that you may assay or judge their way. Go look at them. Go pay attention to them. Go out and speak to them and see if they'll respond. Jeremiah, when he was speaking to the people of, of Jerusalem, not only was right, but he knew he was right. He knew he had heard directly from God. He knew what he was saying was from God to the people of Israel. And now God is saying, see for yourself. They've rejected me. They won't listen to me. So I'm going to put my words in your mouth. You're going to go talk to them and watch how they treat you. Watch how they reject you. Watch how they torture you for saying exactly the truth. I'm going to make you a test case for my people. I've made you an assayer and a tester among my people that you may know and estimate, assay their way. Because all of them are stubbornly rebellious. And they're all going about as a talebearer. They're all going around talking about everything in the world, telling every story on each other they can. Not just tattling, but carrying gossip everywhere they go. Tearing each other down. But they're not talking about God. They're not lifting people up. They're not encouraging one another. That's because they are stubbornly rebellious and they are going about as a talebearer and they won't listen. So God likens them to bronze and iron. (laughs) In other words, 
they're like metal. They're impervious. You can't get through to them. They won't listen. They're hard-headed. They're hard-hearted. All of them are stubbornly rebellious, going about as a tail-bearer. They are bronze and iron. They, all of them, are corrupt. And now he's going to liken his history of correcting them. Again, in these first five chapters, we've seen God say, I sent them prophets. I attempted to purify them. I've told them the truth, but they won't be improved. So now God is going to say, I tried to smelt them the way that you smelt silver, the way that you refine silver in the fire. I tried that with them. And you know what I got from them? Worthless, no good silver. So verse 29 says, the bellows blow fiercely. The fire of God in their midst blows fiercely. And the lead is consumed by the fire. That's the process of purifying silver. But in vain, the refining goes on. But the wicked are still not separated. The process of smelting gold or silver, any kind of precious metal, is to get the weaker metals to melt out of it. So what you're left with is the purified metal. And here God says, I've been doing that among Israel. The refining of Israel continues. But no matter what I do, the wicked, the bad metal, just won't leave. It remains in them. The wicked are not separated out. So they call them rejected silver because the Lord has rejected them. Thus ends the introduction. The first six chapters of Jeremiah are all the introductory prophecy of what Jeremiah is commanded to go and tell Jerusalem, despite the fact that God tells him they're hard, they're difficult, they're not going to listen to you. They love their own ways, they're liars, they're cheaters, they're corrupt, they're wounded, they're sick. They're impervious. But you go tell them anyway, and then you judge for yourself. You assay them, and you see if I'm not telling you the truth. You're going to go and tell them exactly what I said for you to tell them, and they're not going to hear you. And as we continue through the book of Jeremiah, we're going to see that that's exactly the case. The more he preaches the truth of God to them, the more they reject him. Because the truth of God is against them. And they don't want to hear that. Because they have plenty of prophets and priests who will tell them that it's all peace. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Chapter 7 begins with the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. In the gate of the temple right there in Jerusalem. Stand there. And proclaim there this word, those first six chapters that we've read now. And say, hear the word of Yahweh, all you of Judah who enter by these gates 
to worship the Lord. So they're coming up to the temple to come bring their sacrifices, to go through the regular rigmarole of worship, even though God has rejected them, will not accept their sacrifices, doesn't want their sweet odors, but they keep doing it anyway, thinking that this is creating some kind of peace between them and God. And so Jeremiah is going to be stationed at the door of the temple as these people are coming to bring their sacrifices to worship God, and he has to stand there and say, God is against you. He's going to destroy you. The Chaldeans are coming down from the north. They're going to destroy this city. They're going to destroy the people. You're going to be taken into bondage. And this is while people are basically coming to church. If we stationed Micah at the door of GCA and said, with each person that comes in on Sunday morning, condemn them on the way in, how popular is Micah going to be? For the most part, we're all going to look at him like, okay, Micah, that's enough. You're good. You're, You're fine. That's what Jeremiah had to do. It wasn't just the gate of Jerusalem. He has to stand at the door of the temple and condemn these people as they are coming to worship. Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, change your ways and change your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words that are saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Oh, it's the temple of Yahweh. It's great. He's in our midst. He loves us. Everything's good. Don't be deceived by that. For if you truly change or amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice, between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. But behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not previously known and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, that you may continue doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, Become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. If that sounds familiar, Jesus walks on the planet, goes into the temple and says, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. The exact thing that Jeremiah said was going to happen in that temple. Jesus confirmed it. So, Tough gig for Jeremiah. That's my summary statement. Tough gig. He has to go stand at the door of the temple and say those words to the people that are there to worship God. And he has to call them out. How can you go and chase after other gods? How can you go commit your injustices and your murders and your adulteries and then think 
that you can walk into the temple of God and worship him too and that he doesn't know? And God says, I know. I see every bit of it. I think we can apply that to this day. Same God doing the same job still sees it, still knows, and still knows whether people are coming to his house for the purpose of worshiping him in spirit and in truth, or whether they're just doing rote religion in the hope that they can get their card stamped and someday go to heaven. I think the lesson for us from Jeremiah so far is pursue God in sincerity because he knows, and he knows the difference, and he's watching and he's paying attention, and you can't fool him. Listening to this week's Salvation by Grace midweek message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.